Stage Door Sessions by Broadway Direct. In this podcast, we have in-depth conversations with Broadway's brightest, bringing you what's new, what's noteworthy, and what's coming next to a stage near you. I'm your host, Elisa Gardner, and today we're speaking with you from the Tony Award nominees press reception, where some of those brightest and most noteworthy artists have gathered on a two-show day, no doubt running on sheer adrenaline here, to uh, talk about their work, the season, and being tapped by Tony as the big night approaches. In this unique episode, we have some members of the A-list creative and design team from the Tony-nominated show Beetlejuice. They'll discuss the dream teamwork that allowed them to bring their individual talents and shared respect for the classic Tim Burton film to a musical and visual spectacular. We are here today with William Ivy Long, the legendary costume designer, who is here today nominated for two Tony Awards for Tootsie and Beetlejuice, which I believe that's your 74th and 75th Broadway show. Is that correct? You have got your numbers exactly right. Oh, my <laughs> See, goodness. See, too many numbers. Perfect. That was what was Perfect. messing me up. So my uh, diamond jubilee is Beetlejuice, which is why, since you all can't see this, I am wearing a Beetlejuice tie and a Beetlejuice pocket square. Well, at least I think they are. Amazing. In honor of the so is this just old hat at this point? Going it is to these- so not old hat. <laughs> Every time is brand new. Every time by upping the ante by just sort of still living, you have to still try to be top yourself and still be relevant and still be interesting and still be full of surprises. So it's the opposite challenge the uh, for the youngsters who I pass in the hallway and I'm of whom I am so proud because I have to go okay show me and I have to show you new things exciting things extra tricks I wake up in the middle of the night and scribble something down you know always have to stay relevant and um, and interesting and all in t- in support of the storytelling so yeah and these are two beloved films that were adapted. oh my goodness film to stage I have to, I would say a half of my 75 uh, Broadway shows, I would say half are, are filmed to, to a stage. And uh, the, I always tell people when they say, why are you being so exact or why are you this and that? I said, listen, they only revive something or turn something into another medium because the first time was excellent and the first time was superior. So they're not doing it because it was a bad job (laughs) or that no one has another idea. They do it because they want to see you celebrate this, this extraordinary film in another medium and find new truths and new excitements and new challenges. And all of those could be could explain what we we tried to do with both Tootsie and with Beetlejuice. Yeah, and I spoke with you uh, about Beetlejuice and staying true to Tim Burton's aesthetic while still making the show very much its own thing. With Tootsie, I know the show has evolved quite a bit where it's now set in in the current day. Uh, was it a similar thing, though, where you wanted to stay true to the spirit of the film? Um, there's less of a specific visual uh, flavor, I think, perhaps attached well, to that Well, you sort film. of answered the question. So <laughs> <laughs> thank you for that. But I will say that both of them uh, are have been updated to the world of cell phones. And it's today. So there's cell phones in Beetlejuice and there's cell phones in Tootsie. So once you do that, all sort of clouds of nostalgia and romance are off. And you're looking with the bright glare of today. So is this real? Can we believe this? So 
all departments uh, have had to step up because they're both magical sort of romances in a way. Beetlejuice has more visual uh, magic in it, but Tootsie has a lot of magic in it as well in uh, the effect of Dorothy on the entire culture of uh, the Broadway season because um, Tootsie is, is, uh, Dorothy Michaels is not in a soap opera. She is in starring in a Broadway musical. So the whole game has changed, but yet the humor and the truth and especially today, when we're diving head, I describe Tootsie as the um, the playwright, the the composer, lyricist, the producer, the director, and Santino all sort of held hands and have. Do you dive into? Yeah, dove or divin or they jumped into the center <laughs> of the swimming pool. That's right of the Me Too moment, and so. They they didn't avoid it. They didn't go on the side. They didn't wade in. They jumped in with a big old cannonball splash. So um, hopefully no one has, you know, <laughs> yelled and screamed <laughs> at us yet. So no. it's it's addressed. Uh, it's embraced. It shows that we still don't know what we're doing as people on this planet, but we're going to be better. And that's I right. think that's the magic of this particular version of Tootsie. It is. That very much came through. So what's next for you? You you never seem to stop. Have you Well, let's hope not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm actually going in June in June. i I go I fly to Macau where Susan Stroman is directing and choreographing a live stage production of Are You Ready? Drum rolls. Drum rolls, Kung Fu Panda. Fabulous. Based on the film, the children's films, uh, number one and number three for for theater. I mean, for film lovers everywhere, it's one and three. So we get to go to the Panda Village and meet uh, Poe's actual family. So uh, it's pretty exciting. It's pretty exciting. And we've been working on it for about six years and uh, everything will be made over there. We made prototypes for all these Sort of, I mean, panda costumes, anyone. They have to have fans in them because they're so hot. So that's right. uh, lots of things like that. So that's next. That's actually up next. Oh, that sounds fantastic. Well, hopefully we'll speak with you uh, again soon about that. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks so much for stopping by. William Ivy Long, as I said, legendary costume designer up for two Tonys this year, adding to... You've already gotten a bunch. So (laughs) thank you. Thank you. Broadway Direct makes it simple. We will always direct you to the official source for tickets. Whether you're trying to decide on the best show for you or know exactly what you want to see, we're able to get you the information you need to get the best seats at the best prices with the best customer service on Broadway. Buy tickets, get news, and explore all things Broadway at broadwaydirect.com. We are here with David Corrins, uh, set designer for Beetlejuice this year, nominated for a Tony, also for Dear Evan Hansen, Hamilton. Go right on down the line. You are one of the uh, A-list designers on Broadway right now, and you are part of an A-list team for Beetlejuice. And I know we'd spoken before and you'd mentioned wanting 
to stay true to the aesthetic of Tim Burton while still making the show very much its own thing. And you have clearly succeeded. So oh, well, thank you. Tell us about, about that. Uh, I, I feel like you have no choice but to honor Tim Burton um, and his visual world. But also we had no choice but to veer from it because we're not making a movie and we're not making Beetlejuice the movie. We're making Beetlejuice the stage show, which is... Um, you know, a decidedly different narrative, but also, um, Alex Timbers, the director and I decided, um, really early on that we weren't going to just honor Beetlejuice, the movie, but kind of Tim Burton's overall visual vocabulary. People forget that, um, Beetlejuice was, I think his second movie that he made. And since then in the, you know, 30 years since then, he's made so many iconic visual worlds that, we felt like it was such a kind of delicious opportunity to infuse into our world all sorts of kind of Bertonian um, things, uh, iconography. And so there's planted in there all sorts of Easter eggs that you might recognize from different uh, movies of his, Nightmare Before Christmas, Coraline, Edward Scissorhands, a bunch of stuff. But also this is by far, by far the most complicated set design I've ever worked on. And um, by far the most complicated set design I've ever seen. So um, uh, when you said an A-list uh, group of collaborators, it really is. There are, you know, there are eight designers on the show, not four. There's puppetry, special effects, um, illusions, uh, you know, lighting, sound, scenery, costumes, and projection design, because the show um, demands so much um, of the physical world. And it's such a complete physical world that it's, you know, thrilling and terrifying to get that phone call. Yeah. And I understand that Alex Timbers, the director, really created an environment that was collaborative and playful, which I would also think would be conducive to a lot of fun and a lot of hard work. I mean, if you look back um, at Tony nominees and winners in the last, you know, five or six years, Alex Timbers' name is never far away from those, from that list. He is, I think, one of the real um, seminal voices in the theater and certainly of my generation. And he's a true kind of visual auteur. I mean, he's following up with Moulin Rouge, which I have not had the pleasure to see uh, when it was out of town in Boston, but I saw the photographs and I've heard nothing but spectacular things. And he really has a sense of world building. So you know, when he calls you and says, you want to do a Tim Burton show, you, um, you know, it's like double world building and you just try and keep up, but he, he does, he creates a, um, a real collaborative spirit because he has such a kind of, um, you know, he becomes like the North star, like the guiding light to where we're going to head. And I think in a way he's often the only person who really sees the whole picture because the things that he works on are so complicated and so rich and textured. Um, so this was an amazing, amazing collaboration. And it was kind of like best idea wins. And it had to be that way because so many disciplines overlapped. And I know so many fans have been loving the show. People who never saw the movie, people who are obsessed with the movie. Um, do you have, do you hear from people as, as the set designer, do they come to you saying, oh yeah, I recognize this from that movie, or I love what you did that was new? You know, I, definitely. Um, it, it, the, it, Tim Burton's fans uh, um, are a strange crew. Uh, <laughs> there are people who show up um, at the theater in costume. There are people who show up with tattoos on their body of like a famous character or a famous quote from one of his movies. Um, I get reached out to frequently. I think the thing that's interesting about it is um, we 
are surprising because as I said, we're not um, Beetlejuice the movie. We're so, we're, so we're surprising. And I think that we are delighting people. And I think that really and truly our show is unlike anything else on Broadway. Um, and it, it, and I think it surpasses expectations. It's a really, really, really fun night. You get to see a cast who is working at the top of their game. They are each one delivering an incredible performance. Alex, um, is also working at the top of his game and this design team is incredible. And so it's rare to get kind of asked to make a complete world that is as zany and crazy as this thing needs to be. And that it, um, that it pays off. You know, it's not, it is not a frivolous effort. It really is heartfelt. Um, and I think hard won this, this effort. Yeah. Well, again, thank you so much for uh, stopping by to chat with us and oh, congratulations again. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> we are here today with Eddie Perfect, who is up for the score for Beetlejuice. Uh, quite an entertaining show, if you haven't heard about it. Congratulations on your first Broadway nomination for your first show. Thank not you very much. Not a bad record. Um, it's a riot and uh, it's based on a beloved movie, as we all know, and you stayed true to the spirit and the designers to the visual aesthetic, um, but also expanded on it. So tell me a little bit about that from from the point of what you did. Of course. Well, I mean, I think we were in a fortunate position with um, Tim Burton, his imagination roams so freely and the characters he creates are so large um, but identifiable, like relatable, that it didn't feel to me at least a stretch to make them sing. They, they already feel like they're a long way unhinged from naturalism. <laughs> um, so giving them this bold inner life and allowing them to sing felt like something that was kind of inevitable and exciting to explore. And what the I came along after the book writers had been developing the script for about three years, and what they'd very cleverly done is put Lydia's story, Lydia Dietz. She's a um, 14-year-old girl, front of front and centre in the show, and where our piece differs from the movie plot-wise is that Lydia has just lost her mother. Um, she's grieving and she's unable to come to terms with her grief because her father will not talk about her mother, won't even mention her name. Um, and so... Uh, because because we we discover that that's how he thinks is the best way to deal with it, just to march forward. But she's very much left behind and starts seeking answers beyond the kind of mortal world. And um, she's sort of desperately obsessed with where people go when they die, where her mother is. She doesn't feel like her mother has left her. And when she meets the ghosts of the Maitlands and then eventually Beetlejuice, she's kind of invited into a world of uh, beyond the the um, physical one. Um, and Beetlejuice is very much a character who uh, feels invisible and so does Lydia. And they, uh, I guess they um, connect over their shared invisibility and want to do something about it. Um, Lydia wants to travel to the netherworld and experience death and reunite with her mother or at least the sense of home she felt when her mother was alive and Beetlejuice wants life. Mm. You know, he wants to feel, he wants to be amongst it, he wants to be seen and so they make a very unlikely pairing and, I mean, we, we never get that buddy-buddy relationship in the film. Um, that was much more a feature of the cartoon, mm. which I also grew up on, which I loved, where... Mm. 
Lydia and Beetlejuice, but like a kind of a duo and Beetlejuice was like almost like her magical pet. Um, <laughs> so we get to explore a bit of that in the piece as well. Yeah, yeah. And um, I hear that a lot of movie fans are turning up at the show uh, in a lot of cases dressed in goth gear or in costumes. Yeah, yeah. A lot of beetle stripes, uh, <laughs> a lot of Lydia's in wedding dresses with the veils, a lot of strange and unusual people are gravitating towards the show. And, that's, you know, that's a big responsibility. You can't um, mess it up for those people. They Not only do they love the film, um, it's a 31-year-old film. You know, that's a, that's, the film is older than a lot of the people who love it. Mm. Um, so huge responsibility there to um, deliver something that feels satisfying um, for uh, and in in sync with the characters and the and the aesthetic that they know and love but also to give them something new you know because there's no point in doing it if it's just a recreation of the film um, and that comes in this amazing book by Scott Brown and Anthony King um, the incredible visual world created by our designers. Um, the music and lyrics which take the whole thing in a different direction, our unbelievable cast of comedians who are so gifted and talented and courageous to make something that is, you know, it's it's a comedy about death, which is yeah. tricky. <laughs> which is what they announce in your opening number, yeah, which is great. About death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for spending some time with us. We really appreciate it. It's been it. a pleasure to meet you. Congratulations, you as thank well. You. Take care. We're here with Ken Posner and Peter Negrini, who are Tony nominated for lighting design for Beetlejuice. And Peter is also up for set design for Ain't Too Proud. Um, well, welcome, first of all, to Broadway Direct and congratulations. Uh, lighting design, that's a thats a category where you need a lot of technical expertise, I would imagine. Um, yes or no, actually. Um, ah. Be amazed how little technical expertise. As long as you surround yourself with really bright people, you can get away with a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, they. I interviewed some cast members recently, and they confirmed for me how much this show has evolved since Washington. How they said everybody really has kind of come to the plate and slept very little <laughs> and the show has really grown as a result um, and they involved they included you in this evaluation of the show so so tell me a little bit about that were there many sleepless days in fact leading up to that um uh, yes absolutely <laughs> uh, but you know it was it was really a joyous collaboration Alex Timbers is a tremendous leader and inspiration and one of the smartest people I've ever met. And he really just gathered the team, circled the wagons, and the, uh, the writers um, did an amazing transformation of this show from D.C. to, to New York. So um, I, I think the audiences are enjoying it. We had a great time. Yeah, I mean, I also think, you know, that kind of transformation is exactly why we do shows out of town. It's such a gift that, you know, I look at the world of opera or dance or other, other performing arts, and they don't have that benefit of we get to do it once, we get to do it with an audience, we get to see it for six weeks, 10 weeks maybe, and then we get to all go home and sleep a little more <laughs> and consider it and think, well, how can we make it better? And so that's, to me, is the most joyous part of the process, that sleepless rewriting and remaking. You know, the first time is, is uh, I always think that like the first opportunity is to make, it's like making a first draft. It's never going to be the perfect thing on the on that out of town outing. And what's great in the joyous is making 
trying to make the perfect thing, which is what we get to do when we come in town. So those revisions are not a they're not a burden. They're, to me, it's a it's a it's a great gift that we get to do that second pass. You have a real A-list design team for this show, as much as any musical or show I can think of nominated this year. Uh, William Ivy Long, David Corrins, Michael Curry, you all. <laughs> so this is this is a a really spectacular show visually, and you stay very true to the aesthetic of of Tim Burton. I know that that was something that I'd spoken with a couple of the designers about. Tell me about the the challenge of that of making the show very much its own thing, which it is, while staying true to that aesthetic that that fans really treasure in Burton's films. Well, firstly, thank you for those kind words. We really appreciate it. Um, and I think that was always the mission. I think that was always Alex's vision, the collaborative, uh, our the the creative team's vision is to really embrace and um, the world of Tim Burton. That was sort of the mandate, the, the visual mandate, and also, but also interpret it in a theatrical way. Um, you know, inject some new ideas into it that um, a contemporary audience would embrace. So I think that's, I mean, hopefully that's what we achieved. Um, and that was certainly the intention. Yeah, I think that, you know, the, there's a, a puzzle about adaptation, right? Is that people have expectations, they have desires, they have a memory of something. They may have a memory of what their feelings about that film were 20 years ago. Not their memory of what it actually was, but their 20 years old version of what it was. And I think that process of adaptation is really important. And I think it's like it it's flowed from the script, right? The script is actually, the plot line is radically transformed from the film. There are, you know, there are touchstones that you understand, but much of it is very different um, and, and retooled for a theatrical format as opposed to a cinematic format. And I think that was our challenge visually as well, is how do we embrace the the idea of the original film without sort of slavishly reproducing it because I think those slavish reproductions often fall flat because they aren't alive and present and contemporary you know so we were looking at not just Beetlejuice as the inspiration but this sort of bigger Tim Burton oeuvre of you know Nightmare Before Christmas and any number of other things about like what's the What's the kernel of, of something that people will look at that and say, oh, I remember this. I mean, the, I think the success is when they look at it and they say, this is perfect. This is exactly what I remember. And what we've done is actually made something completely new <laughs> that wasn't what was there at all. But they feel that we've captured that spirit. Yes. And, and something else I heard was that Alex Timbers uh, encouraged sort of collaborative play in rehearsals and actors could come with a note and say, hey, why don't we try this? And then the next day, something would appear on the set. So I would imagine designers were involved in that and you were probably very busy trying different things. And, and you could, I would imagine, propose new ideas as well constantly, a lot of back and forth is that the case? Uh, absolutely. I mean, and I think that's true um, to greater and lesser degrees on many shows. But this one, because so much of it was about play, you know, the amount of time we spent talking about jokes <laughs> is like it was fantastic to go to work every day and think about like, what's the joke we can make today? You know, it's a great, great pastime. Um, but I think that that collaboration and also sort of between disciplines, right, that that the that William Ivy might come up and 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 
make a suggestion about what the projection might be. And I would be talking with David about changes that might happen to the set. And that, that not it's not about everyone staying in their lane. It's about all of us are theater makers and we all are have visual sensibilities and, and theatrical sensibilities. And, and the openness for the best idea from any quarter is, I think, you know, really a hallmark of what Alex brings to the process. Um, I completely agree. You know, we're blessed with this incredibly gifted and smart and crazy talented acting company. I mean, our cast, you know, thank you for the compliment a little while ago about the design team, but a thousand times that for our, the, the acting company of this show. <clears throat> and um, it was so much fun to come to work and, um, you know, riff off an idea, an acting idea, a notion, the spirit of something. And just really the the collaboration on both sides of the foot likes and the comfort we all had with each other really was like the, the most enjoyable I've had in the theater maybe ever. Um, and, uh, you know, I just think about, you know, Leslie Kritzer's genius for creating this character and Alex, Alex Brightman, who's an amazingly talented person, but also an amazing leader and just really and a, and, a, and a great host and just the sweetest person you've ever made in your, met in your life and incredibly funny on stage and off stage. So when you're in a room with that kind of spirit, it, the creative juices are, are endless. And um, I do agree with Peter. I think the best ideas come at three o'clock in the morning, by the way. <laughs> so that's why we don't sleep. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so don't forget to tune into the Tony Awards, which will be airing live on Sunday, June 9th at 8, 7 central on CBS. This podcast is produced by Broadway Direct and the Nederlander Organization with Iris Chan, Glenn Halcom, Erin Provosnik-Wagner, and hosted and produced by me, Elisa Gardner. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you soon on Broadway.